0: most competitive guy i mean i would throw on michael jordan isaiah thomas oh yeah kobe bryant it's
1: basketball it can't be you know you, you can't overthink it and
2: we're back on king and foster here on nrm streamcast tom asaway in our studios in farmington terry foster and jimmy king in their little caves. We'll go out to Terry first. Terry, welcome back. Sorry about the Isaiah snafu. Our phones are still down here. Uh, must be something with the lines. We'll, we'll do it. We'll get them on.
0: Okay, that sounds good. I, I'm just uh, sorry that some people may have tuned in hoping to hear him, and it didn't happen, but uh, we were able to fill in the, the blanks and, and, and present some things that maybe he would have he been thinking about. So.
2: We're going to reschedule for Thursday for him because he's got something on his uh, NBA show right now on NBA TV. So we will get him on. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely do it on Thursday. So stand by, everyone. Jimmy, welcome back. Uh, and I want to ask you guys, I want to ask you guys going back to the whole uh, Jordan last dance thing. And uh, when they were starting to come up, Pistons were working on their second championship already. And the Cavaliers were a team to be reckoned with. Now, Terry, what would you think about those Cavs back in the day when they finally got beat? And, of course, jo- Jordan uh, took Elo to school. wasn't his fault, obviously.
0: Right, but let me let me go back to the Pistons in 1988-89. Yeah. At the beginning of that year, it was the Cleveland Cavaliers who was supposed to be the team to beat. Pistons couldn't beat them. The Cavs were way better than them. And uh, midway through the season, the Pistons caught them. And once they caught them, they just shot right through them. So uh, I, I think we can go back to the mental toughness thing. The Cavs were a very talented team. They had Brad Doherty, uh, Mark Price, uh, Larry Nance. I mean, they had some really good players. But for whatever reason, once the Pistons got close to them, they folded like a house of cards. So to me, that goes back to the mental toughness, something the Pistons used to talk about a lot, a lot. You had to be mentally focused, mentally tougher than other team. And at least early in the season, season, the Cavs were the better team. But once the Pistons started breathing down their throats, they were done.
1: What
2: do you remember about them, Jimmy?
1: I remember the exact same thing. I remember Mark Price, Doherty, um, uh, Harper. And, uh, and, and this is what I remember, too. I remember Ron Harper was – Michael Jordan's kryptonite. I remember that when they went head to head, it was, you know, it was 50-50. You don't know, you know, who was going to come out that battle. And Ron Harper, you know, as, as Jordan said on the dock, he thought it was a mistake to put Elo uh, because Harper played him better, which, you know, is obvious. But um, But I remember in the season – um, how good that team was because of uh, oh, I got something on my, pool. sorry about that. Um, yeah. um, that they, they, uh, you know, it, 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 took, again, it's, it's like, you know, the passing of the torch because the, 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 the Cavaliers were better, but instead of, Cleveland kind of passing it towards Detroit took it, <laughs> and that was yeah. the mentality. You know, they had a, they constructed a team that you know mentally and physically we're going to be tougher than you, and if we're going to you know if, if 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 it causes us to you know get a bad like the bad boys or you know the rest of the the fans may not like us, but at the end of the day we're going to get respect. Uh, this is our brand. This is our style of basketball. And 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 it worked for them, you know. And 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 nobody could take that away from it. it worked for that era, that time, and that team.
2: Who coached that Cavaliers team?
0: uh, uh was that Lenny uh, Wilkins?
2: Larry, Wilkins? That's ooh, it. Uh, yeah,
1: Lenny Wilkins,
2: Wilkins. It was Wilkins. Lenny Wilkins. I, I'm looking at the the standings from '88. Celtics had 57 wins. Then the Pistons with 54. The Bulls yeah. and Hawks had 50. And yep. then the Bucks and Cavs had forty two. And the Cavs were sixth in the conference. So were they did they start out better or did they just have the Pistons and Bulls number? No, they started out great.
0: But once the Pistons got close I mean, it was a matter of two weeks. The Pistons in a matter of two weeks, the Pistons went from one game down to like six games up. Yeah. And then we never heard from the Cavs again.
2: No, but, and then know, Lenny again, Wilkins moves on.
0: Yeah, that was supposed to be the Cleveland Cavaliers taking over for the Boston Celtics in the yeah, East. I'll be damned. And he's right. Pistons just took it away from him. Oh, I want this. Give me that. Bam.
2: All right, let me ask you and, this, Terry. Hmm? Let me ask you this. Go back to it. Let's just go to the Bulls. Before they took Phil Jackson, Doug Collins was there. And Michael Jordan loved Doug Collins because he got him the ball. And he was a hell of a coach. But he was very, very – I mean, Doug – you saw how he sweated through his suit. And we saw him here in Detroit. He's—I mean—he is on his game. He is—he is out there. He is high strung. What, what do you think made the move? Was it because Krause liked Jackson and Tex Winter, or the Doug Collins? How did he lose that job? He was winning
0: because Krause, yeah, Krause liked Phil Jackson and Tex Winter better. He—they wanted for whatever reason wanted the triangle offense and spreading the ball around. The other thing that hurt Doug Collins, you know, you talk about him sweating through the suit. The guy was just too nuts and um, he couldn't calm down. And I think that's what hurt Doug Collins. Other than that, a very good coach. Doug Collins should be Phil Jackson now, but he couldn't control his emotions.
2: What'd you take on him, Jimmy? Did you ever, you know, uh, Doug Collins?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Doug uh, Collins is a fireball. He, 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 and, and it's true. You know, that that's his competitive nature. Um, you know, he... I remember watching those games and him sweating, you know, on the sidelines as if he was playing. And like Terry was saying, yes, he was uh, hard to control. Um, he wasn't going to be controlled. Um, and I think, you know, if you can take that A lot of times when you're dealing in the front office of of NBA front offices, uh, you got to be able to step away from that. And I don't think Doug was able to, and and that kind of rub management the wrong way. So, and, and also like Terry said, you know, I think, you know, Krause with his ego also to be able to say, I, even with, uh, you know, the great Michael Jordan and his, you know, seemingly great coach have a better way of doing it. So I think that kind of came into play too. I think it was more of uh, that than, you know, of, of, of him thinking, you know, I'll bring my guys in, I'm going to do my homework, get my here. You know, he's good for the team, but our relationship, you know, isn't the best. So I'm gonna bring in guys that I know gonna do what I want them to do, and and as you see, Phil Jackson fulfilled the order. And once he did that, and Krause wasn't getting the credit for it, then he pushed Phil out, right? So that he could bring in another guy to get the credit.
2: And the guy he had was Tim Floyd, and he never really turned out to be much in the NBA.
1: Yeah, ego trip. Let me, let me tell you another.
0: Let me tell you another story about Doug Collins. Uh, I was doing a lot of stuff with the uh, team when Doug Collins was with the Pistons. And one thing he used to do, he'd get all excited and rub his players on the top of their head. And uh, one time, it was a a private moment. I said, Doug, you can't be rubbing brothers on the top of the head like they're a dog. So he got all pissed off at me and, you know, cut me out. And so I said, I'm just doing this to help you. He didn't believe it. He could do whatever he want. Well, a few weeks later, Terry Mills—I don't think it was a head rub situation—but Terry Mills had grown tired of Doug Collins, and he said, "The only thing that's preventing me from kicking your ass right now is a paycheck." Wow! And that's how bad things got. And they were winning too. Yeah, they won fifty games a
1: couple years. Yeah, he was a winner. I knew it was unraveling. And, and with that story, and with that story being said right there, that lets you know, you know, if, if he's doing that with the players, I'm pretty sure he's like that all the time, in 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 every ass life. So, dealing with, uh, you know, the front office, he was, he probably rubbed everybody the same way.
2: I remember one no, press no conference, Terry. Huh? I remember, I remember one press conference. I was uh, there, and I asked a question. It was uh, towards the end, I guess. Well, yeah, it was no, it was it was per, like say in the middle of the press conference, and I raised my hand and I asked him why he wasn't playing Stacy Ogman. <laughs> I don't know. I just I took a liking to Stacey Ogman on the Pistons. I was interviewing him every day, and I was, I was like, "How come you're not getting any any play?" And he's like, "You should ask coach." So I went in and I and I asked him, and Doug Collins stood up, he shook his head at me, and he walked out, and then everyone turned around and laughed. Hey, Maz, nice job, nice question. I mean, what the hell did I? What was the big deal about asking about why did Stacy Ogman didn't play? Terry, tell me what did I do wrong? Didn't didn't like to be challenged.
0: You know, <laughs> he knows more about the team than you do, and that um, you know, instead of answering the question and say, "Well, here's what Stacy's not doing," he just looks at you as a dumbass media member who doesn't know what he's talking about and just right. asking a stupid question. There's people like that in yeah, the yes. in in professional sports, and that's that's the way he looked looked at it. And that's why he didn't get an answer. Ugh. But I remember, I remember one time, uh, he was mad at me during a scrum during the practice. And uh, he said, shit, I never cuss. And uh, then he said, goddamn. And he said, and then he said shit again. He's never cusses. I'm like, damn. If I didn't know better, that was three curse words right there. And he said, You guys know I don't cuss. I'm like, Okay, I guess not. Uh, But I don't, he's so in the moment, he doesn't know what he's doing.
2: (laughs) That's good, man. And if you remember him, Jimmy and Terry, he was part of that 72 Olympic team that got robbed by the Russians. And one of the guys that has not picked up his silver medal uh, to this day.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, he was very uh, upset about that. I think we had talked about that before, and he didn't really want to rehash it or yeah. talk about it a little bit, you know, his past stuff. But he was he was uh, very angry about that years later. Of course, everyone um, was. Yeah, we, I was mad. Yeah, <laughs> I'm
2: still mad. I'm still yep. mad about that. I, so I'm looking at 89 now. I go to the 89 standings. Now, the Pistons are on top at 63 and 19. The Knicks, 52 and 30. And then the Cavs, 57 and 25, followed by the Hawks with 52 wins. So there's where the Cavs really made their move in 89 to get up to 57 wins. Second best to the Pistons, but third in the conference because the Knicks, I guess, won their division. Yeah,
0: let me tell you about some of those teams back then. The Atlanta Hawks won a lot of games, but they couldn't win critical games. They couldn't overcome critical moments. And, I, and I'll give you a story that um, Pistons are playing the Hawks in Atlanta, and the Pistons had this high pick-and-roll play with Isaiah Thomas and Bill Lambeer called four out. Chuck called that play eight straight times, and they probably scored seven, six or seven times on it, took over the game. Atlanta calls timeout. Uh, you know, the players are sitting in front of him. Chuck doesn't say anything for like 45 seconds. And he just, and what Chuck used to do, sometimes he wouldn't even talk to his team during timeouts. He'd just roll his tongue. I can't do it. <laughs> it's like this. He would roll his tongue. Then they the buzzer goes, and everybody's getting ready to go out, and they're looking at Chuck like, is that it? And he just says, four out. He called the play again. That was it. They went out, ran it. But they thought the Atlanta... Hawks were a stupid team that they could not uh, figure things out. And so they did whatever they want with them.
2: Do you remember who coached them back then? I hate to put you on the spot. I picture Lenny Wilkins there for some reason. He was there, but I think that was uh, Fratello. Oh, yeah, Mike Fratello. Mm -hmm. The little guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And
0: Chuck were buddies.
2: King and Foster here on NRM they, Streamcast. They Tom Hasway in our studio. Yeah, the czar of the Telestrator. That was Marv they, Albert's
1: name for him. Yes! The czar.
0: <laughs> I, I want to bring, bring another story to you guys about why the Cavaliers were destroyed by the Pistons. Uh, it's early, I believe, in the 88-89 season. They uh, have a game at Richfield Coliseum where the Cavs played. We hated yep. it going out there. It was dark. It was... Dank, it was all kinds of stuff. So anyway, Joe Dumars goes off for 42 points. And I swear, every shot he took was the fadeaway jumper near the three-point line, but they all went in. And the other thing Joe used to do, he would get the flu once a year. When Joe Dumars had the flu, you didn't want to play against him. For whatever reason, he was more focused. He would bust some team for 35, 40 points. And um, you'll go there, and uh, a lot of times you see Joe uh, with a towel over his head, with his head down, and uh, barely speaking. And a few times, I'm like, "What's what's up with him?" And I said, "Well, he's got the flu. He's not feeling well." So what? How's he not feeling? Well? I just saw him bust 42 hmm. on the calves. How could that be? Said, well, that's the way Joe is. He's able to to do it during the game, but then afterwards, he's got to compress. He'll probably be sleep on the team playing the whole time. And you won't wake up until after we've landed. But that, that was one of the magic parts of Joe Dumars and how he was able to overcome things. But you know, funny thing, he used to say when he was sick, he was more focused, that he would take time. He would kind of feel sorry for himself and have a little pity party. But then he was razor sharp, ready to go that night. And uh, he would crack teams open.
2: Jimmy, what do you remember about J.D., Joe, De- Joe Dumars?
1: I remember exactly what teachers said. I remember playing against him in Chrysler Arena, and it was game point, and I was all over him, and he shot a fadeaway three out of bounds. There was nothing I could do about it. <laughs> and when it comes to the game uh, or playing sports, you know, Mental is the physical, this is this is our mantra. This is what we lived by. The plan is the Fab Five and the University of Michigan. This is what Steve Fisher ingrained in our heads. Mental is the physical as four is to one. Mental is to physical as four is to one. And when you understand what that means, then you can have a game where you're not feeling well, you have the flu or it could be any kind of mental block or any kind of thing that's going on where you tap into uh, a different area and you focus a little more. Um, Like, you know, some people have that trait and you can develop it. Joe had it naturally. So Joe can go into it uh, naturally, but when he went into it naturally and then he, Align himself mentally with it it was on another level that's why you can expect him to go out and get third. that's why guys can sit back and be like this is what he do that's his makeup um i've played with guys like that i was similar when i had the flu or i was sick i had some of my best games um how about scotty and scotty pippen see yeah. it took him a while to develop it and in the beginning um, you know, he was saying seen seemed double. Yeah. Um, he had migraines. He was getting headaches. Uh, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't see, felt like vomiting, all of that. I'm not discarding that at all. You know, some people, um, you know, migraines are, are serious. I went through that but, yesterday. Yeah, see? I get them. But, but, but sometimes you, uh, some people get them from uh, – you can create them yourself is what I'm saying. And so, and therefore, you can – um stop it uh yourself but you think you think so but 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 it though it, it takes a, it takes a whole lot of work to be able to build up the um to build up the the uh your system so that it, it, you can you can you will be able there'll be less time or it, it's it's not as easy for you to fall into those things. I'll put it to you like this. After Scottie Pippen had those migraines, after he went back to Chicago, went into the weight room, mentally started doing different things, did he ever miss a game from a migraine ever in his career after that?
2: Well, he didn't have to play against Dennis Rodman anymore. That was his teammate.
1: Well, there you go.
2: Terry, was that his migraine? Yeah, J- Jimmy just did what everybody
0: does. When they talk about Scottie Pippen's migraines, they do like this. subconsciously. <laughs> <Right? laughs> like, nobody believes the brother that he actually had them.
2: I believe so When he had his
0: migraines... <laughs>
2: <laughs> you <just> did, it. <laughs> did you see Michael? Michael was the same way on TV. He was, yeah, he was. Oh, you mean the migraine game? I mean, right, uh, <laughs>
1: not, right. And 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 and, and, I, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not just, you know, this, series. this you are dissident. Are serious. You, you are dissonant,
2: and so was Michael. So no, is every other player. Dissident. You are. No, no, it's okay.
1: No, no. I'm, just, I'm not dissonant. Yeah, especially yo, you, man. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a player.
2: That. I'm not a player. But you know, I I I felt for Scotty then. I did. I felt for him, although the other half of me was laughing, saying, yeah, you don't want to play against the Pistons. I I, I know.
1: It's a fine line. It's a fine line. It. And he did get out there and play. He did play. Um, he just wasn't able to finish. And I respect that. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, that's, you know, at the end of the day, he did get out there. He didn't, you know, uh, short his team. He he tried to fight through it. So I don't, I don't fault Scotty for that at all. <clears throat> <laughs> Let me ask you something. What is the hardest you've ever been hit
0: during an NBA game? And the reason I bring that up is during the the Bulls documentary, we always talk about how the Pistons hit Jordan, knocked him down to the floor and everything. The most vicious hit I ever saw in the NBA involved Karl Malone and Isaiah Thomas. And Karl Malone, and the reason this happened is because Zeke was mad, he wasn't on the uh, Dream Team, and he made it his mission. Every time he played Utah, he was going to light up John Stockton. Mm-hmm. And uh, this this game was early. Malone knew what was happening. He knew Isaiah, who he rolled off a pick, drove to the basket. Stockton was nowhere close to him. He was about to come in into a layup. Karl Malone just came in and clocked him right in his face. And um, I, I read something on the Internet that said that Isaiah needed 40 stitches. That's not even true. Mm-hmm. He needed 45 internal stitches and then had to put another 50 stitches to cover that up. He needed close to 100 stitches just to get this done. And I talked to his wife, Lynn, who said it was as if Isaiah was in a 55-mile-an-hour car crash and the the bags did not deploy. That's how vicious that hit was. And, you know, he was knocked out that game. I don't think he played the, the following game. And um, but that was, you know, Isaiah will tell you he was hit way more than Michael Jordan, which I believe because I think the rest of the league looked at Jordan. OK, we've got to respect this. And Isaiah never reached that. It's like, I don't like this guy. If he's open, I'm going to crack him wide open. And that's exactly what Carl uh, Malone did, because he didn't want his friend John Stockton to be lit up again.
2: What did Malone say about that uh, being asked about it?
0: You, you know, I, I don't even remember, but, uh, you know, he tried to say at first it was an accident, which if you look at the replay, there was no way it was an accident. And um, so that's all I can remember.
2: Yeah. And speaking of the Malone, the next week against the, with, with the uh, last dance it's going to be, you see the coming attractions, the Jazz and the Bulls now start to hook up in the NBA. What would you take from that series?
1: from the uh jazz and, and the Bulls series Jazz and Bulls um, yeah that's
2: that starts next week we're going to start seeing that
1: Well I remember from that series there's um you know I got a couple of guys uh, Greg Ostertag um I played in high school with he was on my AAU team in Dallas um Howard Eisley um I remember you know obviously he's one of uh, De- uh he's from Detroit uh, went to Southwestern, Jalen, one of Jalen's uh, teammates um, on the uh, U of M staff right now with Juwan. Um, so I was really interested in, in, in that series, you know, watching it. And uh, I remember just thinking, like, you know, I felt like, you know, no one could beat Chicago just with because of Mike. I felt there was no one that could guard him and he could take over at any moment and impact the game. Uh, That's that's really how I felt. So um, I wanted to just see how competitive Utah would be. Um, uh, And 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 I love again, I love, you know, just the the back and forth between like even even coaching styles. um, um, Substitutions, you know, just the chess match between the coaches. Like that's what I remember particularly about that series is because I felt like they couldn't beat them. So, you know, how hard would Utah have to play outside of themselves and who would step up to be able to negate the greatness of the Chicago Bulls? That's what I remember about that series.
2: Yeah. It's just good, tough basketball. Here's what
0: I say. I I did not respect the Utah Jazz as a franchise. I thought they had two great players in, in Stockton and Malone. But they weren't serious about winning a championship. They were serious about winning their 55 or 56 games. And um, the only reason that series was compelling, I just thought the Bulls had run into a wall. And somehow they fought through the wall to win that series. But I thought they were pretty much spent. And um, that's what kept Utah in the series. That's what kept Utah you know, somewhat competitive in there. But, I, you know, right. I just think the Bulls were just – would take them down eventually, and they and that's what they did.
2: All right, fellas, thanks again for the afternoon. Uh, Isaiah said his birthday happens to be on Thursday, so we will talk to Zeke on Thursday, okay. on his birthday. I'll so maybe, maybe.
1: Birthday,
2: things work out, and make sure you have your special guest ready for him, Jimmy. Okay, oh, I got make
1: him. a cake. I'm ready.
2: All right, Terry. You uh, you have a great day. So you too, Jimmy. Stay healthy, and we'll chat again. All right, we'll take care. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. King and Foster here. Tom Asoway in our studios. It's NRM Streamcast. Stay tuned. The wrap is next. Clarence Black and myself with special guests coming up. Keep it right here.